Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Anglican Church Noosa. This is the third in our series on Exodus, and today the topic is the Passover. This is the Perigian Sermon, and the preacher is Chris Johnson. And this morning, coming to the third of our series in Exodus, uh, you've been through the call of Moses, his reluctance to accept that call. Last week, you would have heard about the plagues, and uh, I gather Brad took you through those. And this morning, we come to the Passover as we move ever closer to the climax, the actual Exodus itself. But this morning, the Passover. The Passover is particularly significant for us because it really is a pointer for us to our celebration of Holy Communion, or what we sometimes call the Lord's Supper. Uh, Jesus gave us that Holy Communion at the Last Supper, on the night before he died. And that Last Supper was a Passover. It was a Passover meal. We're going to look at that in a minute. Uh, And so if we explore the Passover today in its origins in Egypt... Uh, It's going to help us understand Holy Communion a lot better. And I hope that'll be one of the outcomes uh, from today. So I want to begin by asking you, what does Holy Communion mean to you? What does it mean to you when you come up and you receive the bread and the wine? I'm aware there are many uh, different denominations represented in our congregation here, as well as Anglicans. And there'd be many views about that. And there are many views which can be incorporated uh, within an understanding of the scriptures. I don't want to go into those views today. What I want to do is that by explaining the Passover, help you with whatever view you have to go deeper in your understanding and come to a deeper appreciation uh, of all that is there for us uh, as we receive communion. So let's go back to Egypt, the Passover. Uh, The Passover actually incorporates the plagues. This is the tenth plague. Last week, Brad would have taken you through the plague of blood, frogs, gnats, flies, dead animals, sores, hail, locusts and darkness. And so now we come to the tenth and final plague and the most severe of all. Pharaoh is stubborn. He thinks he's divine and he will not tolerate any rivals. Uh, Each of the plagues was meant to unmask his arrogance and humble him before the one who is truly God. But Pharaoh won't relent. And so God sends one more, which is the most horrible of the plagues. And at midnight, the firstborn of the Egyptians will die. Now that sounds very severe, but remember Pharaoh's already had nine chances and he stubbornly refused to give in. Uh, It is only with this most severe of plagues that he will actually finally relent and say, go, send the people to worship where you want to worship. Let the people go. And so judgment is on Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. However, I want you to note that God's judgment is on all human sin and on the Israelites' sin as well. Judgment is on the Israelites, you see, because if they don't put the blood on their doorposts, they'll suffer the same fate as the Egyptians. And it's only because there is a Passover lamb, you see, that they're spared from judgment. 
What we have here is a, a clear picture of what theologians call substitutionary atonement. You see, there is a substitute. The lamb is the substitute. The lamb dies so that the people might be saved. And so the judgment passes over the Israelites, not because they're any better, but simply because of the blood of the lamb. And this is a very uh, graphic picture of atonement in its fullest sense. And of course it points to another sacrifice, which is the true atonement. And we all know what one that is, don't we? And we'll get to that in a minute. But firstly, here at the Passover. Now this is a meal. The lamb that was, sac- the lamb that was sacrificed was then to be eaten as a meal. Roast lamb. Does anyone here like roast lamb? <laughs> it's an Aussie favourite, isn't it? Uh, God is making a rich provision for his people. Not only freeing them from judgment, not only freeing them from slavery in Egypt, but giving them a lovely family meal to share. And it's a meal rich in imagery. The lamb is to be a one-year-old male lamb without defect. That is an animal in its prime. And this was to symbolise purity, that nothing but the best for God. The Israelites then through their history, when they came, brought an offering to God, when there was uh, at the tabernacle, then the temple, the sacrifices, nothing but the best for God. And here it starts at the Passover. Uh, and then in verse 8, we're told the lamb is to be served with bitter herbs. This would remind them of their slavery in Egypt and also to be a sign of repentance. The bitterness of sin, the bitterness of slavery to sin and the need to repent. Also in verse 8, the meal served with unleavened bread, bread without yeast. Yeast was a symbol of evil. Remember Jesus talked about the yeast of the Pharisees and the scribes. He's talking about evil. But unleavened bread uh, was also a reminder that they had to leave Egypt in a hurry. So the bread didn't have time to rise. It was uh, the whole idea of make haste uh, to leave. One of the most important features of the Passover was that it was a ritual that involved the whole family. And so children ate the meal alongside the adults and they were given a special role in the meal. In verse 26 there we read that they had to ask this question, what does the ceremony mean to you? And the parents had to then answer, it is the Passover sacrificed to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And so built into the Passover here was parents instructing their children in the faith. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not depart from it. Or a more recent proverb, uh, that the hand that rocks the cradle guides the world. Such an important role, uh, bringing up children. Nurturing them in the ways of the Lord, nurturing them with the story of salvation. And so God is building into his people here a, a, a way of reminding them of this story of salvation for each generation to come. Uh, it was a way of nurturing their children in their faith and their children's children and children's children, children uh, down through the ages. 
And remember, at this stage, they didn't have a tabernacle or a temple, no organised priesthood. What we see here is the primary place of worship and instruction was with the family. And that's not bad for us to remember uh, with our children. I still believe, I believe today worship and instruction should take place in the home. Now, for those of you who do have children, can I encourage you to establish rituals which do that? As Christians, we don't have the Passover, but there are simple things you can do, like saying grace at meals and teaching your children to say the grace. And there's lots of lovely graces out there you can you know, learn off by heart or encourage them just to say thank you in their own words. Uh, I think another important ritual is the bedtime Bible story. It's good for their spiritual well-being, good for their general education to understand uh, a lot of those common phrases and images that are out there in our society. Things like turn the other cheek, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, the good Samaritan. Uh, it's good for kids to know these, these ideas come from the Bible uh, when they hear them uh, out there in the world. Along with the Bible, to have a prayer time with children. At the end of the day, ask them what can they give thanks for with their day? Ask them, is there something they'd like to say sorry about for their day? And maybe you can lead that part of it by sharing some regret you have about that day and what you feel sorry for. Uh, Model the prayer with them. Ask them if there's anything difficult that they want to ask God's help with. Pray for other members of the family or intercede on behalf of some need that you know they're aware of out there in the world. Pray for the missionaries in our church. If you sponsor a child, pray for your sponsored child. Teach them the Lord's Prayer. There's so many ways to nurture this faith, to build a prayer life into your children. And if you're grandparents, think about the opportunities you have to read the Bible and to pray with your grandchildren. If they're staying over or if you have a significant length of time with them, to just build that into your uh, time of building into their little lives. Now, if you've done all that and your children have walked away from the Lord, keep praying. Don't give up praying. Uh, And at appropriate times, maybe, you can invite them to come to a worship service with you or to come to some other Christian event or to come to something for kids where you know there'll be a word of Jesus somehow built into that program. But keep praying, keep witnessing, keep loving. So the Passover here, you see, gives us a model for nurturing our children in the faith, sharing with each new generation the story of God's salvation. That is just so important. But what about the spiritual significance for us, for the Passover, for us today? Well, the Passover, you see, points us to the crucifixion of Christ. As I alluded to, as I alluded to earlier, just as the blood of the Passover lamb caused the judgment to pass over the Israelites, so the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus, means the judgment can pass over our sin as well. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. 
And the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, For you know that it was not with perishable things that we were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. And so you see, the New Testament makes a very clear link between the blood Jesus shed on the cross and the blood of the Passover lamb. And it's a message of atonement. Just as the Passover lamb became a substitute to save the Israelites from their sin, so Christ is our substitute who dies so that we don't have to face the judgment on our sin. The Passover, in fact, points to two events in the Jesus story. And they're inextricably linked. And these are the events we celebrate on Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. So Maundy Thursday, the night before Jesus died, and Good Friday, the cross. And our Matthew reading that we just heard brings those two uh, ideas together. Uh, On the night before Jesus died, uh, chapter 26, verse 18, uh, Jesus told his disciples this. He said, I'm going to celebrate the Passover. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them and prepared the Passover. So it's very clear that this Last Supper is a Passover. And then when it comes time for the meal, uh, we read that Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from this all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And of course, Jesus, in saying those words, is referring to his death the next day. His broken body, his shed blood and the cross. Holy Communion, you see, is a meal which takes us to the very heart of our faith. The death of Christ on the cross and the blood he shed to save us. He is our Passover lamb. And we should also, of course, mention the resurrection, just as the Passover was a prelude to the Exodus. So Jesus' death is a prelude to his resurrection. And next week, we'll look a lot more at this with, in terms of uh, the Exodus through the waters of the Red Sea and the idea of the Exodus, which is the resurrection of Christ. But uh, the Passover is a prelude to the Exodus. Jesus' death is a prelude to his resurrection. The atonement at the cross points us to this glorious new day, resurrection day and resurrection power in our lives uh, to put away sin, to live as forgiven, reconciled people, to know the power of the Holy Spirit uh, that raised Christ from the dead, that same power working in us uh, and a new life with Christ. Now, my friends, all of this is God's gift to us. The Passover and the Exodus was God's gift to the Israelites. He saved them from slavery in Egypt. It was his work from beginning to end, given as a gift. And all the Israelites had to do was stand in awe on that night of the Passover. Imagine being in the house and eating that meal and knowing something big was about to happen. And stand in awe as they walk through the waters of the Red Sea. And we too should stand in awe at Jesus' mighty saving work in the cross and in his resurrection. Just as the Israelites celebrated the Passover to remind them of the gift 
and to remind them the Passover down through the generations would remind them this is God's gift to us and we have to now live faithfully under his covenant. And so we as Christians also, as we celebrate the Holy Communion, should be reminded of God's gift to us in Jesus and live faithfully under the new covenant. My friends, the Holy Communion is not an optional extra. It's, an, it's integral to our understanding of Jesus' death and resurrection and the gift, the gift of salvation. And we should take it very seriously and remember all he's done for us. Holy Communion is an act of faith. When you stand up here and come down to receive the bread and wine, it's an act of your faith saying, I am committed to Christ. I'm committed to what he did on his, uh, in his death and resurrection. And it's a sign of your commitment and you want to belong to him. Do you know what? Even more importantly, you know what it is? It's a sign of God's commitment to you. To you. It's a sign of God's atoning work, forgiving your sins, wiping the slate clean, saving you. And so you should come with great thanksgiving. Now on a practical note, can I share with you two responses that I sometimes hear when I give out the bread at communion? Sometimes I hear the response, thank you, Chris. And sometimes I hear the response, thank you, Jesus. Which one do you think I like the best? (laughs) I remember a lady at North Pine Parish uh, when receiving the bread and she'd just come up and she'd just go, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, And it just moved me every time. I knew her life of discipleship. I knew she understood the atonement of the cross. And I knew she lived under the covenant so faithfully. And she just came so grateful, so grateful. Thank you, Jesus, uh, should be our response. I think of Paul's words to the Corinthians, where he said, Holy Communion is a participation in the body of Christ, a participation in the blood of Christ. It is Christ who saves us. And to him we say thank you. So, my friends, the Passover, the Passover, a vital part of this Exodus story of God's great saving event of the Old Covenant. And I hope this morning it helps you into a deeper appreciation of Holy Communion and what is now uh, for us under the New Covenant, uh, the sign of God's saving work. So, uh, the Passover, uh, a vital part of the story, but next week we come to the climax of the story, the Exodus itself. So, make sure you're here. Stay tuned. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for your mighty judging, saving work, your judgment on all who would defy you, your judgment on all sin. And yet your salvation provided through the blood of the Lamb. And thank you for Jesus, our Passover Lamb. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your salvation. The Anglican Church Noosa is an evangelical Anglican church on the northern end of the Sunshine Coast, Queensland, Australia. Our vision is living to love and proclaim Jesus. Our core values are being Christ-centred, Bible-based, spirit-led and mission-shaped. If you have found this sermon helpful and would like to contribute to the ongoing ministry of ACN, please go to our website, anglicanchurchnoosa.org forward slash giving. 
Thank you for listening.